Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. Antiques Podcast. This week we'll be talking about antiques in fiction, specifically the gay romance novel Galen by Jacqueline Osborne. Yeah, that's a book. If you've been following our antiques in fiction journey, you'll know that since the Goldfinch, our major complaint about pretty much every other piece of antiques fiction we've picked up is that, wow, this sure is ignoring the queer community within antiques. So I thought, I will game the system. I will compile a list of gay romance novels that include antiques. And this way, we will finally have representation of the queer community within the antiques community within this fiction. And somehow... And somehow that got away from you, huh? We found a romance novel that doesn't care about antiques. So we, it feels like we can only get like one side of the scale at a time. We can either have queer content or we can have antiques content. Everyone is too busy slapping flesh and doing a kiss <laughs> to focus on what's really important, the antiques. Yes. So I compiled a list of gay antiques themed romance novels, and then I gave this list to D with like a short summary of each book and what it was about and how long it was and what its themes were. And D zeroed in on Galen. In the description, it had that someone receives a box that appears to be haunted. Was that the reason you zeroed in on it? Let's review the blurb and see if there wasn't anything else you might have picked up on. That was legitimately the reason. Okay. Simon just wants to run his antique shop in peace. But then he finds a small, mysterious box that's probably haunted, and his shop is broken into by the hottest man he's ever seen, who then steals said creepy box. Now demons are after him, and his only hope is to trust the tall, muscled, combat-boot-wearing thief who claims to be the son of a fallen angel. Okay, I can get through this. I can get through this. You can try. Galen is charged with protecting humanity from dark forces. Cursed with wrath, he's hot-tempered and spends his days fighting demons and trying not to kill his six brothers when they irritate him. His number one rule? Never fall in love. But then he meets Simon, a clumsy human who asks way too many questions and is, unfortunately, a total demon magnet. And he starts breaking his own rules. What's inside the box, and why do the demons want it so badly? One thing is for sure, Simon can kiss his peaceful, ordinary life goodbye. Yeah, well, as parts of that are actually just inaccurate. Especially the addendum, which reads, Book 1 in the Sons of the Fallen series, a low-angst urban fantasy MM romance featuring a grumpy half-angel and the human he swears he doesn't like. Parenthetical, he's lying. Seven warriors representing the deadly sins, a seaside mansion where they all live, banter a snarky demon and a happily ever after i actually have a note i want the word snark removed from the dictionary if you say it i'm going to fucking lose my shit someone described me as snarky to my face and i almost did like all, all manslaughter i'm so deep in the romance paint and i'm not even half as deep as you and if i have to read the word snarky one more time i'm gonna lose everything I'm going to become the fucking avatar of Wrath. So you didn't enjoy the Whedon-esque witty banter throughout the novel? The thing is, I didn't mind the banter. They actually managed to keep it, like, fairly normal. A uh, strong statement. Comparatively. All of this is going to be said comparative to other romance novels. Okay. I could read the dialogue without taking breaks to, like, start cussing. I could not. <laughs> it was, like, fine. <laughs> it was more or less normal. Simon, I think, was fine. He talks like people I've met. That was fine by me. The supernatural elements start stretching my patience. But, like, in this whole thing, I focused on Simon as a character that I overall actually really like. 
So that got me through. Wow. Can't relate, but respect. (laughs) I think Simon's fine. I don't really understand why they call him clumsy. That doesn't come up at all in the book. Like, period. Like, at all. Unless getting tortured is like, like, whoa, whoopsie me. But like, you know. I fell and tripped on this pair of anguish. Yeah, like, all of the injuries he suffered were inflicted on him on purpose by an enemy. Uh, But yeah, that's my rant on Snarky. I think you need everyone needs to stop and just write. Speaking as a real-life legitimate klutz to the point where I don't drink out of anything that isn't plastic or stoneware, and when it comes to plastic, I favor Talenti pint jars because they have a squat, wide base that makes it that much more difficult for me to knock over. I am so over quote-unquote clumsy romance protagonists. I'm not trying to crib your steez here, but like you are aware that in our group of friends, I am actually best known for knocking drinks over. And very recently, being so slow on my feet that a lady actually just pushed me in the Dollar Tree the other day because I didn't move fast enough. Like, yeah, it's not a trait that I have that I've ever been like, I've just desired to see in other characters. Like, it's kind of annoying. It's a little bit embarrassing. And I don't know why everyone's latched onto this as a character trait that people find charming. And also, no one ever does it right because if you want, yeah, like, it seems like your clumsiness is also drinks based. So, like, if you're going to have a clumsy character, you might want to respec and just have them knock over a ton of drinks. My clumsiness has legitimately altered the way I live my life because not only do I only eat and drink off of extremely durable objects, but, like, it's also changed the way I dress because, like, I dress in clothes that won't show stains and are easy to wash and won't tear easily. Yeah, I feel that. I don't wear white for a variety of reasons, and that is one of them. I think it's kind of on par with taking like a mild mental illness and turning that into a quirky trait. Like what like people do that with anxiety a lot. And I'm like, you know, talk about an unpleasant addition to your life. You know, and the characters is just like, oh, they worry all the time. And it's like, you couldn't have gotten this more wrong. Or when the character is OCD because they like things to be neat and tidy and well organized. Yeah. And not, I'm convinced my friends and loved ones will die if I don't open this door correctly. Yeah. My favorite example is actually a joke from King of the Hill but managed to get the gist of it better than like literally any romance novel where the guy says he can't get up off the couch or Garth Brooks will die. I mean, yeah. It's very funny and weirdly accurate. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, So I'm completely with you in that like clumsiness is often a symptom of a variety of issues that, as you have said, can change the course of people's lives. In my case, a lot of it is the crippling tendonitis in my hands, which means I can't trust myself to grip anything. Such as a glass. Yeah. High five, my brother. For me, the example I gave earlier is because of the arthritis in my ankle. The ankle that, just so everyone is aware, the tiniest bone shattered into three smaller bones and had to be reconstructed with metal. Yeah. Yeah. So D's cyborg ankle is the reason D is clumsy on their feet. I have upwards of 20 pins in there. So like, yeah, there are days where I am, I'm just sort of slow and limpy and kind of dragging that leg. And the thing is, when you do all of that, you tend to fall over, bump into things, misstep. Yeah. I don't want to speak for you, Dee, but I can definitely say no one has ever found my clumsiness adorable and a reason to date me. No. No one's ever watched me, like, ass-bump a brow spaghetti sauce container over at the grocery store and gone, oh my god, that's so quirky. <laughs> In fact, you know, if my clumsiness was, was like, in some way sexually attractive, I would have had an easier time dating earlier in life. I mean, you say that? 
But your boyfriend is literally the guy who picked you up and carried you to safety on the very moment you shattered your ankle, so... Which, (laughs) very cute, yeah. Extremely cute. Well, that's less that he finds it attractive and more that he is extremely patient. (laughs) And empathetic. I still think it's fucking adorable. It is extremely adorable. Unlike the relationship in this novel. (laughs) It's fine. No! What? How low are your standards, dude? I literally went to a romance novel convention. Oh, I'm I'm so sorry. I got so many free advanced copies that I read, and like I was thinking like it'll be nice of me to read this, because a lot of them are short, and I'll review them as a gesture of friendliness to this author who I genuinely I genuinely like and I want to see do well. And then I read it and I said the kindest thing I can do is pretend I didn't read this. <laughs> All right, I will. Okay, some points in favor of this book. It is grammatically sound. Everything's spelled correctly. There are no formatting errors, which does put it ahead of at least 50% of the stuff out there. If you really liked Shadowhunters and wished it had more pornography in it, you will enjoy this. True. If you like Wingfic, you'll like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you like ironclad top bottom yaoi tropes, you'll love this. If you like that one obligatory scene in every single urban fantasy novel where they go to a secret supernatural nightclub that is indistinguishable from any other secret supernatural nightclub in any other urban fantasy book, you will love this. <laughs> All right, here's the thing. that It fucks severely and never stop writing it. Like, whatever whatever you got out of Ken's tone there, the club scene is so good, never stop doing it. I just want them to do it better. That would be awesome. Up the game, but, like, by no means excise it. Make it less transparent that you copy-pasted from a better author. It's Blade. We all know that it's Blade. We all know you guys got it from Blade. It's fine. And, and that scene fine. is really good. We got our whole lives from Blade. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> But I know you, you've got all this creativity in you. You're going to write the best urban fantasy club scene of all time. You can do this. We believe in you. (laughs) If stories where ordinary human gets with absurdly attractive and beefy random supernatural creature are your catnip, you will love this. Yeah, which actually normally bothers me and didn't so much in this one. I still don't understand why, but I'm eager to hear about it. So, yeah, of everything I just listed there, the only thing that didn't annoy me in this book was the wingfic stuff, because it was the first time I'd seen wingfic done differently. I was so excited for you to get to that, because <laughs> I, I know you you have feelings about wingfic, and all of them are confusion. Yes! <laughs> and I was just like, well, this one actually like gives you like something to ground any of that interest in. So I was like, Ken's going to have a thought. <laughs> all it gave me was a weird orifice. And that's more reason. <laughs> Which, granted, is more than any other wingfic has ever given me before. Okay, so for for the antiques people listening to this who are very confused right Which now, is all of them, by the way. <laughs> wingfic is fanfiction where the entire point of the fanfiction is that one of the characters has wings. And somehow this is enough for- Okay, wingfic is popular for two scenes. It's raining and they use the wings as an umbrella. And they are hugging tenderly, and the wings become an extra set of hug arms. That is really it. And anyone who tries to tell you that there's anything more to it than that is lying. Although the person who wrote this book obviously had a third that I hadn't considered. (laughs) No, the third one is 
the character without wings preens the wings of the character with wings. And this is sometimes erotic? Question mark? Yeah, that can range from tender to erotic. It's the same every time, regardless of the characters involved. And I have been trying to understand this trope for years because people go fucking feral over it. People lose their entire minds over wing fic. I sometimes reflexively clap if I see an image of someone using their wing as an umbrella because I like it. So I kind of like I'm fine with it. I get I like I get it. There are things in this world that are just satisfying to see. It's all very cute. It's not that people enjoy it that <laughs> baffles me. It's the level of enjoyment that baffles me. It's the scale. <laughs> The thing is, like, I do feel you on that because this book is obviously written around that. That's not a value call at all. I just know in my heart that this whole thing was written around that. They said, I need a story with a guy with wings. This particular book gives me that no other wing fic has given me before is that the wings disappear into slits in the angel's back. And um, I'm just going to slap a not safe for work warning on this entire episode. We're already an explicit tag podcast, but just in case, skip the next 30 seconds. The human fingers the slit while the wings are withdrawn, and that is also erotic somehow? Sure. I want to understand this so badly. Please email us, antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com, because more than anything, I want to grok wingfic. I hope someone has an answer for you. I hope so, too. You left off my favorite part of the book, which is that the unfortunately vanishingly few scenes where antiques are being dealt are very accurate, actually. I I vibed with it. I think whoever wrote this actually at least has talked to an antiques dealer. What? I was pretty into it when he goes to an estate sale on the last day to pick up everything no one wanted. And that is such a relatable antiques dealer move. Okay, yeah, that that is true. So, like, everything that was going on with the antiques, like, felt pretty natural, actually. The way he conducts his business, even... <laughs> Even the entrance of the titular Galen, when he just, like, sort of, like, storms in and immediately demands special treatment, that is what customers are like in the antiques business. <laughs> all right, I will grant you all of that. For me, the writing surrounding the antiques was so far off base. Yeah, what, like what? I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't pick up on it. Timeless antiques and curiosities sat on the edge of town, the brick building dating back to the early 1900s. It's his building. His family has owned it for generations. He would know the exact year and also what architectural style it was because it would be a selling point for his shop. That didn't really bother me. At one time, it had been more of a curiosity shop with supposed cursed items than anything stranger and usual. That was the funniest fucking thing of all time. That is so good that he had a great great grandpa who was just like, I only want to sell cursed shit. I don't care if that's realistic or not. That is such a good hook that I love it. Once I took it over, I returned to our original roots, venturing back to strange objects. I still sold higher quality items, but quote unquote weird was insanely popular right now. It brought in the younger crowds and kept the store going strong. Okay, weird items, strange items, haunted items, cursed items. This is an oddities shop. The word oddities does not appear in the text at any point. I feel like that's almost a niche term. I could see if you're publishing like a general romance book, why you would want to avoid 
I feel like you'd have to explain oddities to an audience that doesn't already kind of know what that means. Right, but you could explain it through the text as you throw out all these other more familiar words. The audience would pick it up from context. That's what writing is for. Sure. That's fair. If you're not using the word, my assumption is you've never even seen Antiques Roadshow. You just thought, I need a place where someone could buy a cursed object. Okay, he owns an antique shop. What do I remember from antique shops from what I saw on Shadowhunters? Oh, fucking nothing. Good, let's go. I didn't think it was that bad. I, it was just they didn't use the word oddities. And, and there admittedly weren't a lot of oddities in the store. And for an oddities shop, he's extremely avoidant of clowns, which I have learned very quickly in my time as an oddities shop is not a position you get to take when you're opening an oddities shop. He says the shop originally sold oddities, then transitioned to regular antiques, and he personally transitioned it back to oddities on purpose without ever once enjoying oddities, stocking his shop with oddities, or learning the word oddities. I hate this man. <laughs> I think he's fine. I hate him so much. In fact, I'm willing to actually just call it a win that someone wrote someone inheriting an antique shop that doesn't hate the fact that they inherited an antique shop. He certainly acts like it. He doesn't seem to enjoy antiques or oddities. No, he loves both of them. He just really likes extremely tall, ripped guys better. That he should have opened an extremely tall, ripped guys shop. He should have opened a host club. <laughs> well, as, as it turns out, Ken, dealing in cursed objects is how you do that. So egg on your face, I guess. I am clumsy and into <laughs> weird shit. And at no point in my life has anyone found either of those tool qualities attractive. Fuck Simon. Simon is fine. I don't I don't know where you got this like tilt against Simon because the writer didn't include a lot of detail. The writer is responsible for making me like the character. The character is a fraud, therefore I hate the character and also the author. He's fine. He's 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 perfect. It's okay. No. There was so much more antiques interaction than even a couple of the straight ones that had antiques directly build that I'm I'm pleased as punch. I'm pretty convinced this is as good as it's gonna get. And he talked about going to an estate sale and sorting the items with the one employee he could afford. And I'm like, all right, this all scans. Cool. You are my friend and I love you very dearly. I am begging you to raise your standards. No, no, thank you. I am begging you to realize you deserve better. No, I'm, I mean, I'm writing, <laughs> so that's fine. I can't get over the idea that in the past, before the oddities craze, someone wanted specifically cursed items. That is so fucking good. You know what? That's carrying it for me. In the late 19th century, yeah, someone opened up a Coney Island-esque P.T. Barnum. This is cursed! Oddity shop. <laughs> that is great. And I feel like in a better book or in the hands of a better author, that could have been something. But unfortunately, that idea was here in this book with this author. So it was nothing. I was hoping for some character development, which was stupid of me. Any romance doesn't really get to have that. Shh! Shockingly rude. You're the one who literally just told me my standards were too low. There are good romance novels. Just because we haven't yet read any of them for this podcast doesn't mean they don't. Yeah, exist. none none that have antiques in it, so. I swear to God we'll find one someday. They even had a scene where someone is someone's haggling and he responds to it realistically by saying, I really want that chair out of my shop. Please drop the price. The haggling was the only moment that felt authentic throughout the entire book. The haggling was great. Yeah, and it was great. It was more than any other antiques book I have read thus far. 
I wanted kind of Simon to have a moment where he displayed his love of antiques. Like, I, I didn't get the idea that the character cared much about them at all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly my problem. Mostly just because things kept happening to him and just there was no part where he was written in to have feelings about anything other than how much he loves abs. My other major problem with this book is that antiques happen in maybe the first 20 pages and then just kind of don't exist for the rest of the book. Well, no, because he goes to he goes to live at the Avengers Mansion. Okay, so you also got that vibe, right? That yeah. extremely Avengers fan fiction in the year before the Avengers movie came out vibe, <laughs> where they all live in a McMansion stocked with all the coolest things a fourteen year old can dream of, and just have cuddle piles all day. Which, like, not to be a dick, but like, you made this about an antiques dealer, and then the mansion is for some reason a brand new mansion. Despite the fact that it's inhabited solely by immortals. Yeah, it's all, like, brand new. What an easy draw to have them bond over. Like, oh, wow, the banisters are oak. I did not know that they were oak. You are so fascinating, Simon. Like, what an easy thing to get them to connect over, and you didn't fucking do it. Their ex-boyfriends are all from, like, the Renaissance and ancient Rome, but at no point do they ever bond over antiques or antiquities. (laughs) Yeah, like, after it's revealed that he is in Nephilim, they go back to the antique shop a couple of times and he's not like, I remember that. That was in the opera house in Ot 7. You mean 2007? No, I mean 1707. Yeah, like, that is the fun thing you get to do when you have an immortal character and someone who deals specifically in things from times gone by. (laughs) And you didn't do it because you were too busy dropping car types, for one. Yeah, the seven immortal angels are way more into modern designer cars than they are into antiques, which sure, fine, okay, sorry. I really, we need to go back to this mansion because the seven angel brothers are all seven half angels whose fathers are all fallen angels who represent the seven deadly sins. It's a lot. And Galen is the son of wrath. And he is our six foot eight romantic lead. Now, I need everyone to real quick picture a six foot eight human being. It's Andre the Giant. I'm seeing Andre the Giant. Are you afraid? You should be afraid. I'm not afraid of Andre the Giant. My father is six four, and that's about as tall as I can handle humans being before I get really concerned. I guess the difference is that he's like cut and not like sort of pleasantly round like Andre was. Have you ever seen that character height chart for DC Comics? where it becomes very apparent that every single comics writer doesn't know how human height works, but really wants their character to be the jockiest jock who ever jocked. So, like, they start at six and a half feet and just get taller and taller and taller. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. Can I give you, like, a horrendously dissenting opinion? I think that's fine. I think it's so stupid. Well, because the Nephilim are very popularly and frequently, and also in folklore, they're supposed to be giants. So I kind of thought it was neat that they are scary tall. This is like the one time where I'll actually go like, that's like lore approved. I have zero confidence that the author looked into Nephilim folklore even that far. I am absolutely certain it's just a coincidence as a romance novel trope to have the hero be stupid tall. See, the thing is, the book didn't betray that either way. So I'm just going to sort of be like, okay, well, scans. (gasps) 
man. So the mansion they live in is a seaside McMansion, and I use that term very deliberately because it's a magical mansion that looks exactly like what a 12-year-old would build for all of their OCs in The Sims. So you mean the extremely subtle references to the Avengers mansion in where the main character Simon directly refers to his boyfriend who is an enormous man who occasionally becomes very angry as the Hulk directly? Oh, several times. Yeah, yeah. It's subtle, but it's there. They have an entertainment room, an in-home movie theater that is somehow separate from the entertainment room, every newest video game, which, wow, that's a lot, a kitchen that's always fully stocked with gourmet food, infinite money, and more designer vehicles than you can shake a stick at. Oh, not just designer vehicles. Vehicles which, like, basically don't exist in the U.S. Do you have the relevant quote? for the car they drive to the club up at hand? I don't. I had the relevant quote for the motorcycle that's mentioned because the casual racism kind of struck me. Oh, but, yeah, there's that. So, like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to cut to that because I, I have that up right now. Just to close out the McMansion bit, it makes the entire book read even more juvenile than it already does. It reads like a 16-year-old saw The Avengers and also Shadowhunters and was like, I need to write a crossover fic right now, but I need everyone to think I'm an adult, so I'm going to put the fuck word in it a whole bunch. That does happen. A lot of people think that when you're writing a snarky character that they're just going to cuss a lot. And speaking as people who have been described as snarky with an explicit rated podcast, no. Just stop. Yeah, it was very like, oh, they jumped into their Ferrari 250 GT Spider. I think it actually says in text that there were only five made in the world. Yeah, and the Nephilim have one of them, so good luck. And the Nephilim have one, but it's okay because the one that owns it is the guy who is Greed, so like... Which I don't get. Like, wouldn't Greed just be hoarding all of his money and not spending it? I want Greed to be an extreme couponer. Yeah! I'm gonna write my own (laughs) Nephilim romance series. (laughs) Where Greed is like, do you want a Powerade? I have 3,000 Powerades. <laughs> Greed should have entered the antique shop and been the haggling nightmare that we all know so well. I was actually expecting that because he actually turns up with the main love interest to the antique shop. And I was like, oh, and he mentioned specifically like, I want to buy a fancy ring. So I'm like, oh my God, this guy, if he walked into an antique shop, he'd be a nightmare. But instead he just stands outside like a weirdo. <laughs> because dialogue tags for that many people is intimidating i guess sorry do you have the motorcycle quote yet yeah that so like that struck me simon's shop assistant is a young asian american man which by the way i clocked as another supernatural creature the second they said he drove a kawasaki ninja h2r on an antiques on the pay of a man who works in an antique shop so that wasn't very subtle they didn't they weren't hiding that super well wasn't quite the reveal they thought it was because I was like, well, no one who works in an antique shop can afford a ride like that, so never mind. He's definitely like a dragon or something. I actually thought a dragon or something. Here's the thing. I would say they do if they are the type of antique dealer who runs off of mommy and daddy's money. That's also an option. If they're a Kino Twins type antique dealer, then yeah, they can absolutely ride that. True. But it describes him as, quote, jumping on a crotch rocket, which... Oof. So crotch rocket doesn't refer to any motorcycle. It refers specifically to the ones for children that are used for, like, off-roading. They're not street legal. Like, the thing about that is that they are miniature, hence how they earned that name. Because that's about the only part of your body that can fit on it. Yeah, like, so a crotch rocket is not a general denigrating term. I get the overwhelming feeling that that was a quick sub for a racist term for a Japanese-made bike. A term that we will not be repeating on this podcast. That I will not be saying. If you know it, you know it. And if you don't, then, like, thank God you're normal. 
Yeah. <laughs> Thank God you've never heard it. But like that is the only reason I could think of such a strange substitute to refer to a specific Formula One race bike. Yeah, that pinged for me as well. Yeah, because a Kawasaki Ninja H2R is a full size. Actually, it's a slightly larger because it's for racing. It's frankly a dope bike. They're very cool. The Kawasaki Ninja line is some of the coolest bikes that you can get your hands on. So I hated every minute of that. <laughs> I mean, you know. One of the characters actually points out that the the H2R is not street legal, which is correct. It's a racing bike. And I was really interested in the fact that, spoilers, they reveal down the line that the gentleman who drives this bike, Kyo was his name? Kyo. He's a magical dragon. And like, he specifically says, I have to keep this under wraps. It's like a big secret. I can't imagine a worse way to keep a secret than driving an illegal racing bike in what seems to be a small, normal town. I mean, you know. (laughs) You can see why I didn't trust this author to know anything about anything. Well, they knew enough about bikes to, like, name drop them. Oh, God. All right. So, sorry. The fucking plot. Simon the Antique Stealer goes to an auction, buys a random crate of garbage, finds a box with weird carvings on it, doesn't compare the carvings to any kind of antiques or antiquities he might have seen before. Are they Art Deco, Art Nouveau, Rococo? We don't know. Sumerian? Who knows? Not Simon. He doesn't care enough about antiques to look at things. And then people repeatedly try to break into the antique shop to steal this weird box. And Simon's like, whoa, what's in the box? And then a fucking freakazoid walks in and is like, give me the box. And Simon's like, whoa, bone me, please. And then said freakazoid returns after dark to steal the box because the box is too dangerous, attracting demons. Andre the Giant Jr. rolls in. He's like, give me the box, please. And all Simon's thinking is like, I would like to have sex with you, but not give you the... (laughs) Okay, this is one of the demerits on the realism of antiques. One of! Yeah, one of. A demerit, you say, on the- The realism of the antiques, yeah. (laughs) He says he can't sell it because it's not, like, cataloged yet. I don't know a single fucking antiques dealer in their right mind that wouldn't immediately sell some shit they had no immediate interest in. If you don't want to keep it and someone says, I'd like to buy it, then you go, oh, that means I can jack up the price. Absolutely. It's almost as though the author did no firsthand research into the life of an antique dealer and just said antique shop. That's basically a museum that'll sell you shit, right? A museum where you can sell the collection. Yeah, same thing. (laughs) It's not like the wrongest. It's pretty long in terms of like whether or not things are archived or categorized or cataloged. Yeah. It's more of just like they need an excuse for him to hold on to it long enough for, like, the other enormous freak to show up, the one that he's not sexually attracted to. Okay, but, like, wouldn't this story make a lot more sense if it was an item donated to a museum by the will of some mysterious wealthy person instead of bought at said mysterious wealthy person's estate sale? Because then Simon would have had a legitimate reason to say, no, you can't buy this. This is a museum. We have to catalog it. And saying that would make sense? Yeah, that's true. That would have made more sense. I hate this book. I hate this book so fucking much. I, I, I do know personally a couple of very small museums that do occasionally sell off excess parts of stock or donations that they'd have no use for. So that's actually not unheard of. This book is so broken and every way in which it is broken is such a fucking easy fix. I'm so mad. And yet not broken enough for me to not... I didn't stop reading it, which for me is the bellwether of like, oh, it's fine. The only reason I continued reading it is because you had already read it and told me we were doing an episode on it. <laughs> Yeah, well, because it's short, too. It is not. I am apparently just faster at reading than you. Oh, my God. 
It took forever. Oh, that's just because you hated it. And 25% to 75% was just in the Sims mansion fucking. Yeah, yeah, that's that goes by real quick. You can just be like, yeah, penis, uh, there we go. He's hard oh, he's again. Okay, so, all right, he had sex with his brother, which is like a weird detail. It's got nothing to do with anything. I just wanted to point it out. Yeah, there's a throwaway line where Wrath is like, yeah, I used to fuck some of my brothers, but it's okay because we're not blood related. And I'm like, is it? Is it though? Hang on. Real quick, is it? It's not. Is that fine? Uh, I don't think it's fine, actually. I think it's extremely weird, actually. It's, it's, it's really not fine. So my interest in the book from the blurb, whatever you think to the contrary, was that I got really excited thinking that it was going to be like The Possession, but like with a kind of gay sex. What is The Possession? An extremely subpar horror movie about someone... I think it's based off of like an old creepypasta. An antiques dealer buys a Dybbuk box... And becomes haunted by the Dybbuk. Always with the Dybbuk box. Always with the fucking Dybbuk box. The Dybbuk box thing was popped off by this movie, The Possession. And actually, I believe that they consulted pretty heavily with, like, with Jewish leaders to make sure that they weren't doing anything, like, racist or shitty. God, I hope so. Which, I mean, the Dybbuks aren't, like, a, a, an extremely important religious part of Jewish faith. But from what I understand, they actually did do they did do the research to make sure it wasn't hurtful. I kind of want to ban non-Jewish people from writing or thinking about Dybbuk boxes or golems while we're at it. I think the writer was a Jewish person. Okay. It's just that all the Dybbuk box garbage I've seen since then has not followed that rule. No, that's true. That's true. Like fucking Zach Baggins garbage museum. I would like Zach Baggins to maybe go to hell if he wants to, obviously. <laughs> So if he does that, then I think we'd all be like a little bit better for it. Oh, God. So yes, Angel Man steal the box and also steal the man, Simon, because he gets hurt by demons and he has to bring him back to his McMansion to heal him with his angel powers and then fuck him just a whole bunch. Just so much fucking, oh my God, nonstop fucking for 75% of this entire fucking book. I was so bored. Yeah, you got to clip down the fucking. I, I know that that's why people are here, but like anticipation is part of the fun. You don't put all of the sex scenes back to back in the middle of the book in just one big chunk. You sprinkle them throughout the narrative because pacing is part of the art of novel writing. You buffoon. I mean, you're taking a hard- it was not that bad. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I was pleased with the casual inclusion of some uh, some hurt comfort. That's kind of my jam. Here's the thing. I love gay content. I love hurt comfort. I'm intrigued by wingfic, and still this book managed to bore and infuriate me. <laughs> I was really into the strange sleepy twink that just sort of wanders around the mansion falling asleep on people. I was very curious what the point of- it felt like the author really wanted us to be taking note of that, but I was really confused. Because the author's seen a lot of anime and that is a common yaoi trope is the sleepy baby-ish UK who's technically overage. <laughs> yeah, I hated, I hated that by the way. I think they describe him as looking like a someone in their young teens. Yeah, he looks 14, but he's really 7,000 years old, so it's fine. Stop it. Fucking stop it. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that he would just kind of stay as like a mascot of the Sims mansion, but like it turns out he gets his own book, so that sucks. Yeah, that doesn't bode well. So the author watched a lot of Shadowhunters and a lot of anime and wrote a lot of fan fiction and was like, wait. I can combine all of these loves and maybe turn a profit. And they were right because, oh boy, the rating this book has on Goodreads. You won't believe. Because it's fine. It's it's basically fine. Because it is well formatted and copy edited. It's plain Pringles, <laughs> my guy. 
It's not your first pick, but if they're there at the party, you're chomping down on them. To the best of my knowledge, Pringles was never racist or weirdly incestuous at me. You said that there was no spelling errors, but I was just flicking through my bookmarks and I found an incidence of the word fubbing. And I just want to take you up on that. (laughs) The sentence fubbing any necessary paperwork was easy too, which also is not a complete sentence. (laughs) Would you believe I skimmed a lot of it? Fubbing. I just loved that. So anyway, they get to the fuck mansion and Simon opens the box because it turns out the carvings that he cannot describe are, you know. Here's the thing. The way I'm describing it makes it sound like it's an eldritch horror thing where like his mind slides away from the non-Euclidean geometry, which prevents him from describing the carvings. No, the author just lacks enough imagination to describe in any way what the carvings look like, apart from nothing I recognized. Yeah, they couldn't Google Aramaic because that's usually the go-to for angel stories is you pick Aramaic. I guess that doesn't work because he could have Googled Aramaic. You could have Googled anything and written a better book. <laughs> the better book is Simon doing some Googling. So the carvings on the box prevent both angels and demons from touching the box directly or opening it. So Simon the human has to do it so he can be important to the story for five minutes. So it opens the box. And what is the mysterious object inside? What is the most interesting thing an author could think of when they had the entire world of antiques and antiquities before them? It's a fucking ring. You mean what could be in there when the author has the entire world of that one book written by J.R.R. Tolkien before them? Oh, yeah, the ring. (laughs) (laughs) Would you believe the ring is the source of all evil and was made by Lucifer? Oh, and possesses a guy if he puts it on. Yeah. Wow. TM, TM, do not steal. (laughs) Some real new material we're working with. Original content, copyright, copyright. I feel like we're just being mean to this book. This book was mean to me by existing and I had to look at it with my eyes and take it in with my brain. Which was ultimately a cruelty. It was basically fine. This book was written at me. It was not. It was not. No, this this book, (laughs) a book written at you would be much different. (laughs) So yeah, it's an evil ring. And the thing about the ring that really got to me was... You have me on tenderhooks. To quote directly from the text, it looked pretty damn ordinary too. Well, ordinary in an antique way. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah, I I did have some trouble with that line. Yeah, I didn't know what that meant. I don't know what that means. It means the author had yet another critical failure of imagination and couldn't visualize their own work, which is a bad sign when you go into a creative field. I don't know. It it, it just seems strange because you could very easily Google. I'm going to Google old ring right now and see what I get. Old ring. Meanwhile, I'm going to move on to the very next paragraph, which then says... The thing looked expensive. So wouldn't you know it, on the pop-up blurb for Old Ring, there are 12 very different rings to choose from. So that would have been very easy for them. Whatever it is, it looks expensive. But then they'd have to do research and look at something, which they clearly weren't willing to do. Otherwise, this book wouldn't exist. To be fair, there have definitely been times when I myself have been looking at stock and said, well, that looks expensive. So I'm going to give that one a pass. But it has looked expensive for specific reasons that you could then describe to give the reader an image of what you were looking at, right? Especially if you were speaking from the perspective of an expert such as an antiques dealer, a generational antiques dealer who's owned an antique shop in their family for several generations now and has probably been raised up from birth to look at these things and know their worth and know they're from and know where they came from and not to know everything about an object, at least be able to glean a few hints in order to know which particular expert they should ask about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the most part, yeah. There are definitely like points where I found very quickly that uh, doing vintage clothing is a thing that I find very difficult to explain to people how I can spot them in the wild. So there are times where there is kind of more of a vibe than something you can explain. 
But that's not what I would go with for my book is the thing. Yeah, if you were sitting down to write a book, you would have the time to look at an object and pick out specific details that you could then convey to the reader is the thing. The weight is a very easy one that tips people off pretty quickly. It's very heavy. The quality of the stitching, the quality of the material, the design. You know, on a ring, like the color of the gemstone can tip you off pretty quickly. The type of metal, the age of the metal what art style it seems to be in yes yes uh it's true whether it uses like cabochons or well this is a man who hasn't even thought deeply about what the building he's in looks like so yes okay so you understand why this book was frustrating for me personally i do i guess having low standards is a blessing It really does boil down to, like, I don't expect much. My standards are not that high. My standards are for an antiques dealer to be an antiques dealer. For an antiques dealer to sound and behave like any antiques dealer I've met in my entire life. If you're out there and you want to write a story that involves an antiques dealer, for a very low fee, I will consult for you. Write in antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, I could give you a direct pay method. And, you know, if you're having trouble coming up with what things look like or you're like, I don't understand the different design eras, I can find you links for that. If you need a writing consult, here I am. Rock you like a hurricane. No one's asked on the subreddit for this particular service, so... (laughs) And boy, does it show, because <laughs> I keep finding books where it's pretty clear no one showed up to ask for advice. So the ring is super evil and made by the devil to do evil, evil things and a very original concept. And then the angels are like, oh shit, we have to do something with the ring. And then their angel boss is like, I will take the ring and then takes the ring to heaven. But oh no, there's a betrayal in heaven. How many times a fucking week does that happen? And the ring falls into the hands of hell. Oh no, the demons have the ring and now they will do so many evil. Oh, the evil they will do. And then the only named female character in the book shows up. Yep, she's there. I'd had my suspicions before, my extremely strong suspicions that this was just a Shadowhunters fanfiction because Shadowhunters is also about half angels who live in a very cool mansion and do a lot of fucking and kill demons in extremely generic forgettable fight scenes. True. (laughs) The only named female character shows up and she's a witch who does magic whose great great whatever made the box to hold the ring that would prevent demons from getting into the box and uh her name is clara and if you've never seen her red shadow hunters just know that the main character is named clary because the author's name is cassandra clare yeah and that one of the main male protagonists specifically the nerdy awkward one is named simon The same name as our nerdy, awkward protagonist. I actually hadn't made that connection. This is so... Which is crazy because I actually did have a moment where I was like, this is probably Shadowhunters fan fiction, huh? But I never was just like, Simon is the same name as a character in Shadowhunters. The same name in Archetype? Yeah. Who's also BFFs with Clara? Yeah. No, no, that's not fair. This Simon is leagues more interesting than that Simon. This is a fucking massive improvement. He starts out with the potential to be interesting and then gets it fucked out of him. That's fine. And you know what? That's still an empty Simon full of cum is still 30 times more interesting than Shadowhunter Simon. Why did you, as my friend, put that sentence into my ear and then also my brain? Because sometimes we do episodes where we earn the explicit tag. (laughs) You weren't content with the book attacking me. You also had to attack me. If I don't keep my neck on a swivel, they're going to take the explicit tag away and someone's grandma's going to listen to this. This is a psychological assault on my brain. (laughs) 
the censors are going to be like, I haven't heard the word cum come out of this podcast for a while. Mark it safe. <laughs> this is why you made me read this book was so you could do this. No, it was genuinely because I thought it was going to be a cool Dybbuk box story and I was so wrong. Anyway, a witch shows up and she was like, yeah, the ring's evil, turns out. We should probably get back from the demons. And everyone else is like, no shit, really? The backstory is that her grandma made the ring. The devil came to her grandma and was like, make us an evil ring that has Satan inside it. And she went, mm, okay. <laughs> and then she finished it and she was like, Satan is bad, actually. <laughs> so she made a box. <laughs> locked the ring away. I wanted a story about how that went down. <laughs> What was going on in her head when she was like, mm, okay, Satan. <laughs> in order for that book to exist, the author would have to be interested in the interiority of a female protagonist, and frankly, I don't think we're ever getting that from this author. Well, they did make Clara gay, so that was cool. Cool. They fulfilled their quota. <laughs> they made a witch character, and they were like, well, there's no way that this is going to be straight. <laughs> so then the demons have the thing, and then everyone goes nightclubbing? I don't know why they go nightclubbing. It doesn't... <laughs> Yeah, they go to the nightclub. And this is also where they're like, oh yeah, vampires and werewolves and tentacle people and also fairies also hang out at this nightclub because this is kitchen sink urban fantasy. Enjoy. Which is fine. But like, God. I love kitchen sink urban fantasy. I don't understand how you or why you would get into writing if you don't have an imagination. That's what always surprises me is like people do kitchen sink urban fantasy and I'm like, great, there's a lot you can do here. And then they do none of it. And they do nothing with it. Then they just regurgitate Shadowhunters, which was already a failure of imagination because everything Cassandra Clare has ever published is fan fiction of other shit with the names changed. I was only partially kidding. I do feel that way about Simon. I think, it, like, if all Simon was in this story was the negatives, it's still better than Simon and Shadowhunters. I mean, fair. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah. Disappointing. I forget how they get to hell, or why they get to hell. Someone gets kidnapped, the demons attack all of the brothers, and then they're like, oh no, our psychic connection, because of course they have a psychic connection, because why not rip off Twilight as well? That was so good. Everyone really loved Twilight. You skipped over a lot of, like, a lot of interesting things there. Yeah? Did I? Yeah. If it was interesting, why would I have skipped it? You forgot that Simon <laughs> is part Satan on his mother's side. <laughs> Which, right. which, which is like a very weird twist. But he doesn't find that out until he gets to hell, D. He doesn't find that out until he gets to hell and then the demons get him. How do they get to the hell? No, he puts on the ring and he like sort of instantly goes to hell. He go, he puts on the ring and he's evil and he's like, I'm going to hell now. Goodbye. Why does he put on the ring? He is compelled to in a way that is unlike Lord of the Rings in every way. Oh, okay. Yeah. I believe there's actually in a scene very unlike anything in Lord of the Rings. It actually whispers to him and speaks of the power he could gain to protect the people he loves. Oh, weird. Which is unlike that movie that I mentioned in a lot of ways, which is very brave. <laughs> And he puts it on and he goes to hell because he is like part Satan. On his mom's side. And he goes to hell because that's where Satan lives. So basically he goes home and then he wakes up. They cut his finger off in another scene that is unlike Lord of the Rings in every way. Um, I can't stress enough how unlike it is. They cut it off because he's too consumed by the power of the ring. In a scene unlike Lord of the Rings. And not at all like Frodo in hell, which is a scene that is unlike Lord of the Rings in every way. And then he wakes up and he's like, what the fuck? Why do I only have nine ringers? Where's the ring of doom? That's a little treat for you guys who watch the Rankin Bass one. <laughs> and then they say, you could put on the ring because you're part Satan on your mom's side. 
And I'm like, normal. That's a normal plot twist. That turns out Satan had four kids and two of them were through the same woman. And that also happens to be Simon's great, 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 great grandma. The extent to which I aggressively didn't care about any character or plot development at this point in the novel cannot be overstated. That's a shame because I am obsessed with how weird this part was. Is it any weirder than being like, yeah, my brothers and I used to fuck, but it's okay because we're not actually related? Yeah, it's so much weirder. Like, whatever, casual fucking, like, incest isn't incest because family isn't something you you can seek and and forge for yourself, whatever. It's, like, extremely common with people who don't understand how families are. You can kind of tell when someone doesn't grow up gay. Yeah. Like, not to be very rude, but it was extremely obvious throughout this entire work that this author was a straight woman. Yeah, and that's fine. I mean, you can be a straight woman. That's fine. That is a completely valid lifestyle to live. Several of my best friends are straight women. Some of my own family members are straight women. But they should maybe do some research or, like, think for five minutes before trying to write from the perspective of a gay man. There are plenty of straight women authors of gay fiction that do very well. Yeah, KJ Charles is, like, fine. She's nailed it. Unfortunately, this author did not. Yeah. So I was obsessed with, um, this is is something that I see a lot in fantasy stories for some reason. The absolute refusal to grapple with any sort of stakes, I found so interesting because there's, like, a whole conflict where the angel is like, I can't love a human because he's just gonna fucking die. And they're all squishy and soft. And so there's this turn where he puts on the ring and I'm like, oh my God, if he's part Satan on the Satan side, that's interesting. And it's a relationship hiccup to like grapple with. Because your boyfriend's literally an angel whose entire job is to fight demons. His whole job is to fight demons. There is that you can have the theming where these fallen angels are fighting their sinful nature and to have a character that chooses good despite having the strong nature of being a Satan. And you can have him usurped by a bigger, more pure blood sate or whatever. I don't really, I don't know. I don't didn't watch Shadowhunters all the way through. So like, I'm thinking like this could be very interesting. This will shake up the status quo and will force the characters to really like introspect and like reconsider their relationship. And then it literally just pivots and says, you're only Satan on your mom's side. So it's meaningless. So like, why write it? I mean, this entire book was an exercise in why write it? Well, sure. But then this whole podcast episode would be, it's bad. And then we'd, and then we'd hang up. <laughs> so yeah. And then Wrath hulks out and kills every demon in hell and rescues his boyfriend. And then they get gay married on a beach by his brothers he had sex with once. A couple times. Yeah. Wrath is like, I can't commit to a human because if I do the whole fated mates blood pact commitment thing, then if you die, I will die. And then we'll be down another angel to fight the demons. And I'm like, that sounds like a really good reason to not commit, actually. Because you have other bigger responsibilities. <laughs> the character who wants commitment says out loud, wow, that's the most legitimate reason I've ever heard to not commit. <laughs> And then at the end of the book, they're like, we'll do it anyway, because I love you too much. Fuck it, we'll do it live. And the human's just like, sure. It, well, because he dicks him down and then says that. And so he's he's all like, oh, okay, well, all right, you got me there. Yeah, I guess it's fine if we only have six warriors instead of seven against the forces of darkness. That's probably fine. I'll just have to try really hard to not die. Yeah. Which I guess is what every human says every morning. <laughs> Which, like, again, I get that you can't end the book with, and eventually he would die of old age. Goodbye. It's, like, not a great look. But you had that whole part about being part Satan that could have, like... You could have even been like, oh, he's got some very slight latent powers. He's he's a little bit more invulnerable than your average bear. 
And then you wouldn't have to have your freak wedding where they just decide responsibility is not important. Here's the thing. The entire half-angel mythology of this book is wholesale invented by the author for kink purposes. Well, no shit, yeah. I wasn't even going to get into that. (laughs) So she didn't have to have the part where like, yeah, if I commit to you, we'll be down a warrior for fighting the forces of evil. She could have just not written that and then the book would have made sense. But instead you have a character whose entire responsibility is defeating evil forever deciding, nah, fuck that, I need to get my dick wet for about 50 years, and then die. No, but if there's one thing I know about romance novels is that you have to have constant conflict in between the relationship at all times, and it doesn't have to have a solid reason, it just has to be there thwarting their love. I hate this book so fucking much. It's not that bad. It's basically fine. So, okay, D. I am a Unitarian Universalist. Yes. You are Catholic. Lapsed. Is this book heresy? Yeah, extremely. What the fuck? Are you kidding? How many different kinds of heresy is this book? I think this book might actually just be a blasphemy. (laughs) I think it made up so much shit about heaven that it skipped straight past being heretical and just turned into like a mockery of the idea of God. On a scale of one to the His Dark Materials series, how heresy is this book? It's a nine because, again, I have to reiterate, His Dark Materials is a book where God is evil and you have to kill the Pope to make things better. So, like, (laughs) I believe there's a section where Simon says, so if the angels are real, is God real? And they say, no, idiot. I was like, wow, what a cowardly take on the mythology you've built. They refer to him as the supreme being and they vocally insist that it's different than the Christian construction of religion, but they in no way differentiate it from it. Well, it's probably less homophobic given that all of the angels are gay and have multiple boyfriends. The thing about Christianity is that the Protestant Reformation did a couple of good things. A couple? You'll admit that? <laughs> There's like a couple of gay ministers out there in some of the like the less shitty churches, yeah. I mean, there are plenty of gay monks, but we won't go into that. There's also just like, if they're going to like bone down, you're going to be dealing with a heresy. What I'm saying is just like, there's no stakes. Like the cowardice in taking this like material and then just being like, God's not real though. You don't have to worry about that. Like there is a supreme being and like, oh, you mean like a creature that might be referred to as a God? Stop being so chicken shit about it. You took this from Christian canon and that's fine. But like, do something with it. Like, instead of inventing a new mythology, they just said, I renamed God. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So I have two points. One is if you sell me a romance novel with an angel in it, I want multiple wings, multiple eyes, wheels of flame, and a genderless shape-shifting rage machine who, in the rare moments when it takes on a shape your mind is capable of comprehending, is so beautiful it drives you to madness anyway. If you're not willing to write that, then you don't want to write angels. Sorry. See, I get it. You can't really write a continuing romance. That's a one-shot, like, erotic short story. Watch me. I guess I'll have to do that. Okay, but that's what I'm talking about. Cowardice. Like, what you are offering is not a coward's way out. You are taking the mythology and you are saying, I'm working with the source material and I'm making it work. I'm crafting it with my hands. I'm I'm breaking its bones to suit my image. Like, and that is the opposite of cowardice. Saying God's not real, but there is like, oh God, is cowardice. <laughs> and all of the the Nephilim are extremely hot. They're just very hot. You telling me a wheel of flame with too many eyes to comprehend and wings that can enfold me unto infinity is not hot? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there are people who do not recognize it as such. Yeah, wrong people. There are people who are blind to reality. 
The other thing that got to me was the eighth deadly sin. Yeah, which is being sad. (laughs) (laughs) The one time that they like they do something courageous and start really crafting the world in their image is the dumbest goddamn thing I've ever heard of in my life. To quote, the eighth one is less known, Galen said. His name was Kalias, and he was the avatar of melancholy, which is a sin now, I guess. Not even sorrow, which is a better word. Melancholy, you know, like the Smashing Pumpkins album. Melancholy is a bigger word, though, so you look smarter when you use it. The I would say the ultimate sin is probably being a fan of the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh... <laughs> I'm kidding, I love the Smashing Pumpkins. I was gonna say. Listen, you're gonna look at me and not immediately clock me as a Smashing Pumpkins fan, you know? <laughs> so, D, <laughs> which which papal bull declared that melancholy was the eighth deadly sin? <laughs> oh, the best I can think is that they're, like, making an oblique reference to suicide being a cardinal sin. Yeah, but that's not a deadly sin, that's a cardinal sin. Isn't that different? The deadly sins aren't like a real thing. Are the deadly sins themselves heresy? No, they're not heresy. They're they're just what I would kind of call like a mythology. Just some extra Bible fan fiction for you? Like a cardinal sin is an act and like the deadly sins are kind of descriptions of the things that drive people to those acts. They're like a story tool for describing what makes the cardinal sins bad. They're also a great framing device for your anime. <laughs> yeah, they're also an excellent framing device for your anime or your extremely heretical sex book. <laughs> Yeah, the deadly sins are, I believe, by the Catholic Church called the capital vices. Okay. Which, like, again, are just sort of a description of, like, poor behavior that leads to sin. How was your vice today? Capital. <laughs> capital vice, my man. Good show, old spot. Capital vice. I was extremely <laughs> greedy. I bought a name brand car. Do there are any non-name brand cars? All cars are produced <laughs> under brand names. <laughs> you can't go to Market Basket. And get a store brand car. My Sam's Club vehicle SLX would would beg to differ <laughs> as my generic car. Oh god, I guess I guess what I want to say is if you want a good gay romance about angels, try good omens. I've heard good things. Speaking of cowardice in writing, uh huh. Did you also find it very weird that he is taken prisoner, and then there are roughly three pages where they explain that this is in no way kidnapping, but he also cannot leave? Oh, when you say taken prisoner, you mean the part where the freakazoid breaks into his antique shop and whisks him away back to the McMansion where superheroes live, and then says you can't leave? Yeah. But it's cool because we have a lot of video games, so you're fine. There's, I think, a whole chapter dedicated to them. him saying, am I a prisoner? And they say, no, but you're not allowed to leave even if you want to it's very hotel california of them yeah he sounds like like that sounds an awful lot like a prisoner and at some point they're like maybe so but it's for your own good and then they drop the subject which like again if you want your protagonist to be kidnapped by a sex angel that's fine commit (laughs) commit to the bit you say am i a prisoner and you say yeah i'm an angel what are you gonna do call the cops (laughs) commit So I only have one note left for the book. Okay, give me the note. And it is a screenshot labeled the two genders.png. Yeah, it's an angel and antique stealer, right? And it's a highlight from the time period in the book you're talking about where he's definitely not been kidnapped by seven angel brothers in their McMansion with all the cool shit inside. Yeah. And I can't remember which sin Raiden represents because frankly, I didn't care. (laughs) It's a weird name poll, but it was a gluttony. Yes. So Simon is sitting down with gluttony to pass the time while he's being imprisoned. 
and he says, We watched a psychological thriller about detectives hunting for a notorious serial killer, then switched to a rom-com once it ended. His taste was eclectic. You know, never know what you're going to get next with old gluttony. (laughs) And I think that speaks to the extreme failure of imagination on the part of this author that, like, those are the two most extreme things they could pull out of their hat. Yeah, as if that's not, like, most women who enjoy wine's day. (laughs) If that's not most true crime fans. Yeah, not to be a living parody of myself. An antiques dealer's sort of, like, comfort background program is Antiques Roadshow. I don't care what anyone says. That's- we all watch it. That's, like, one thing we all have in common. If you meet an antiques dealer and you're one and you want to have common ground, just bring up Antiques Roadshow. For some reason, Simon only ever watches Ancient Aliens, which I guess if you're interested in casual racism is an excellent show. If you're interested in casual racism and you want to fuck literally any supernatural being and you don't have much care which kind it is, Ancient Aliens is a great program for you. Yeah, it's it's uh, top tier for that. Which I think really speaks to the thrust of this book not being about antiques or an antiques dealer, but about a guy who really wanted to fuck a biblical angel. And that's fine. And that's fine. But don't sell me a book about antiques. <laughs> I actually only have one more note. Okay. So Galen is the Avatar of Wrath. And I thought it was very accurate. One of the most accurate things in the in the book is that an angry piece of shit who's just kind of an asshole drives a Mercedes Benz. I thought that that was really good characterization. You know what? Fair. This book is good, actually. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I bet Galen would cut me off while I'm trying to zipper merge on the highway. Final thoughts? It's basically fine. <laughs> I heartily disagree, but that's why we have a podcast. (laughs) Like, for me, it didn't even rank in, like, the worst romance novels I've read. I think a thing can still be very bad and called out as such, even if it's not the literal actual worst. Of course, you can. I was surprised at how easily I read it. Normally, I have to drag myself kicking and screaming, but, like, it sort of flowed. It's good potato chips. Hardly disagree. (laughs) That's fine. But that's fine. Did you read this book? Could you write a better one? Email us, antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com, or post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends, or tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. Do you know a gay romance that is actually about a haunted oddity shop, like I wanted this one to be? I'd love to read it. Are you writing one? I'll beta read for you. Email us at (laughs) antiquesfreaks.com. Wait. Nope. That's not how the email works. Nope. (laughs) Antiquesfreakspodcast at (laughs) gmail.com. (laughs) Yep, (laughs) that's the one. Thank you. And if you would like to peruse some actual oddities from someone who cares more about oddities than they do about fucking six foot eight combat boot wearing angels, check out our Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash antiques freaks, where we understand that an oddity shop needs to stock clowns. And boy, have we answered the call. You don't even know the half of it, my brother. Uh, do you have a new uh, showstopper clown in the shop at the moment, actually? Are you speaking of vintage aristocratic porcelain clown Jester doll? I am. Of that I do speak. Do you have expensive taste? Do you appreciate luxury, pampering, the finer things in life? Have you ever found yourself a fine tone loosely held in one hand as you stare wistfully out at the falling rain, wishing you had a fancy French clown to sample the sumptuousness of life with you? Look no further. This is a gorgeous clown, a wired, posable cloth body with fine, detailed porcelain hands, feet, and head. The feet are gracefully pointed as if about to prance on point across a stage. The hands are manicured with one delicately holding a glimmering orb similar to Jareth from the Labyrinth. The face is painted in beautiful, if smug, gold makeup. The costume is made of crinkle silk and lace. The clown is more than a companion. It is art and it is interior design. 
This clown manifested spontaneously upon hearing me talk about buying clothes from Walmart. Every day, she makes increasingly ridiculous demands of me, asking for Fiji water, a mink paw coat, caviar, a blue wary of breakfast at Tiffany's. There is no way I can keep up with this aristocratic perio's demands. The prim lines of her mouth seem pursed in constant amusement, in my case, when she sees me come in with a bag from the dollar store. Can you afford this clown the lifestyle it so richly deserves? Note, she requires a doll stand, which she does not currently have. And you can find that at etsy.com slash shop slash antiques freaks. <laughs> it really is a beautiful clown. And if you would like to hear us talk about more pad writing, you should check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiques where we are chapter by chapter, week by week, reading and reviewing the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood. And that's at patreon.com slash antiques Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye.